I never took the path most traveled. I always found another way. If you take the average path to do things and it doesn't work out for you, you have a choice at that point. You can quit and move on to something else. Or if you really, truly are passionate about what you're doing, you can find another way. By Lost Students. For past, present, and future law students. Bringing you information to help your career. This is The Law School Show with Rishi and Chris. Nintendo. Microsoft. Electronic Arts. Rishi, tell me, man, what do all these things have in common? Our guest today represents the interests of all of these companies and many more video game manufacturers. Tanya Woods works for the Entertainment Software Association of Canada. What does she do there? She's the Vice President of Policy and Legal Affairs. Essentially, she ensures that the landscape in Canada is preferable for these companies to grow. Fantastic conversation. Um, Actually, hold on, hold on. It was a passionate conversation. It was. Tanya Woods is in line with something and it's contagious. Yeah, this is a pure story of when passion meets your ideal career. Yeah. What else do we talk about? Well, we talked about the details of working to represent the needs of video game manufacturers, such as the companies that we mentioned earlier. We talked about having persistence in the face of adversity, in the face of people telling you that maybe this isn't the right thing for you. And I think that's a theme that carries for the entire conversation about how she created her own opportunities and the importance of thinking outside the box and sometimes doing three jobs at the same time to create a full-time job for yourself because that is exactly what you want to do. This was a great conversation. It was inspiring. It was informative. Take a listen. Let's roll it. Here's our conversation with Tanya Woods. Good morning, everybody. We are here with Tanya Woods from the Entertainment Software Association of Canada. Tanya, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Tanya? Really great. How are you guys doing? Excellent. The exams are approaching, and uh, I think we're just slowly transitioning into that exam mode now. But overall, great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself without speaking about law? Oh, the epic test for any lawyer. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can. So uh, I am an individual that loves art and entertainment and pop culture and traveling and good wine and yummy food. Um, I am from Ottawa. I grew up here in a very small multicultural family. And I have a small family of my own now. I speak a bunch of different languages and I love meeting cool people and mentoring. Which are what Go-getters. languages? Go-getters. <laughs> what what languages do you speak? I speak Spanish, French, English, a little bit of Italian, a little bit of Arabic, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin. Wow. Yeah. Mandarin's not going so well. How do you go about picking up all of these languages? Um, I I spend a lot of time kind of using school as an excuse to travel and studying in different countries mm-hmm. you meet all kinds of neat people and I was just really interested in their culture and speaking to them and having more kind of in-depth discussions and there's only so far you can get when English isn't someone's mother tongue so mm-hmm. I thought to put myself in their shoes and try 
try and learn some of their languages. So. Amazing. Yeah. Very unique. I like that. So let's hear about um, your law school experience. So you're pretty academically inclined. And uh, <laughs> so sort of unpack for us, um, yeah, your, your academic experience um, yeah, in sure. law. Yeah, that'd be great. Sure. So um, I did my LSAT, but that was more um, for fun. I never really wanted to um, start my legal studies in Canada. I wanted to go to England. Go back mm-hmm. to the school as an excuse to travel sort of thought. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went to the UK and I started sitting there um, at the London School of Economics. Then I realized that I needed to convert my degree. So I came back to Canada and went to the University of Ottawa and converted my degree. Yeah. I got hooked on technology law and really enjoyed law school a lot. Um, and while I was articling at a copyright board, I decided to do a master's in law at Ottawa U, um, focusing on copyright issues because it kind of lined up with what I was doing at work. And um, and then that wasn't enough, and I kept going, and I did another okay. master's in the state uh, in D.C. at the Washington College of Law. And I was thinking more about international issues, trade, globalization, intellectual property. And I thought I wouldn't be doing myself any favors being in Canada, so I went there. Oh, and uh, so for technology, was it something that you were always interested in or that kind of interest sparked once you got to Ottawa? No, I remember, you know, like in the early 80s having this massive computer in my room. Um, it was like it felt to me at the time like it was the size of my bed. And um, <laughs> I remember, you know, typing DOS coding out and watching things happen and I got totally hooked on CD technology dot dot? and yeah, <laughs> like C slash slash dot dot runs. Yeah. I can't remember. Now, thank God I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> That'd be another language I could say new, but I don't know. <laughs> but um, but no, it's um, it's something that I've always been completely fascinated with. So, it, I just kept going, and I realized, you know, people are doing all kinds of cool stuff with technology, and but that cool stuff was kind of scary at the same time, and I was really curious about how the law applied to that, and how we would like manage the scary stuff with law and how we could still encourage people to innovate and invent really cool things and change the world the way we know it now. So, At that point, did you were you cognizant at all of the market? Were you thinking to yourself, yeah, there's definitely going to be some opportunity here in technology and law? <laughs> um, I was lying to myself at the time. So I did a lot of networking throughout law school with lawyers, just kind of having sit-down coffee breaks with them and trying to figure out, like, could I have a career in this? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the early things I realized with intellectual property was was really interesting, and it fit really well with the things I was interested in as um, an area of practice. And I really love um, movies and music and a big art lover. So I started my conversations with copyright, and every practitioner I met was like, no, you will have no career in copyright. You could never be just a copyright lawyer. You will you will perish and die and be poor. And, live in an alleyway like they they just had no hope to offer me it was awful and um and I just ignored them <laughs> I lied to myself I was like well good thing they're not doing it because it means I can and yeah. um and sure enough you know my persistence and it chosen ignorance has led me kind of where I to where I am now which is pretty good so I um yeah I was just really hopeful and moving on a whim but it worked so just focusing on your law school career a bit, uh, is there anything you would have done differently? I don't, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. I chose all my courses because there were things I wanted to do. 
So I didn't do family law. I didn't do tax law. I didn't even do, like, basic business law. And the only one I've ever kind of thought twice about and regretted not doing is tax. Because I sit there now and I'm like, geez, I wish I knew how to put my money away in smart places. I have no idea. Um, And and now I hire accountants and stuff. They kind of help me with it. But, um, but yeah, tax is the only one that I kind of wish I would have done just because it's practical, I think. What about from a social standpoint? What are you thinking? Like, should I have socialized more? Yeah, well, one common theme we hear from lawyers is that I wish I would have been less focused on my grades and more focused on building my ah. social network because those are the relationships that are benefiting me the most now and the grades don't mean anything, for example. Yeah, so I kind of I realized really early on that networking is everything. I mean, I grew up in Ottawa. It's a pretty small town for all intents and purposes. I mean, they're smaller, of course, but, um, you know, it's very common when I go out that I bump into someone I know every time I'm out. And that's because I'm from here and that's just sort of how it works. And I just realized, like, the more people that you know and that know you, the better. Mm-hmm. I did. Like, I spent too many hours in the library, yes, but I actually really enjoyed them. I'm a huge geek, so I felt safe surrounded by books and writing papers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but I did make it a point throughout my studies, I mean, right from day one, to just to go talk to lawyers, to talk to people, to network, to see, like, what are the people that I want to help? What are they actually even doing? And in, in London, when I was there, I spent time kind of networking with artists and creators and gallery owners and just talking to them because I'm very practically minded. So I am... Um, I'm pretty happy with the way that I chose to do things, but, you know, there are days when you're sitting in an office and you're like, geez, I'd like to get out and socialize. I mean, it happens now, right? But, you know, you can. What are some ways that you maintain your network right now? I think, um, you know, one thing we struggle with as law students is sometimes you can make that first connection, whether it's a phone call or a coffee, but then maintaining it is a little bit more difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you suggest? That, oh, that's such a good question because it is a little difficult. Like, I mean, Facebook doesn't count, right? Like, I mean, there's yeah. a level of it it kind of does, but it really doesn't professionally. Yeah, yeah. And LinkedIn only goes so far. Um, a mentor of mine had a really wicked tip when when I was sort of talking to her about this sort of thing. And you know, you meet you meet all these people, and in my case, they're all over the world, and I and I like them, and they're friends, and in some cases, we've done business together, and I know I can call them any time. I'll send out, you know, the odd annual note just saying, like, hey, hope you're well. How's it going? But um, but on a daily basis, the suggestion that I got was to put 10 people's names on a napkin and within the next two days reach out to them. But it's strategic. Like, we all get really, really busy, and we don't have a lot of time to socialize, per se. But if you sit down and kind of think about the 10 people you might want to be in touch with for any given reason, you can get it done pretty easily, even if it's just a fast note, just to say, like, hey, I hope you're well. You yeah. know, you should grab coffee or something. Like, I think it's I think it's really good. But writing them down, keeping the list, you know, right beside your, your keyboard is, is key because you won't forget to do it then. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's really great advice. So then after your undergrad, you moved to doing master's in your technology. How do you think that has helped your uh, – if you can share a bit insights about how how did the master's program work for you? So I had a really clear, practical goal with my master's. 
I had a technology I wanted to develop, but I wanted to understand the need for it more. Um, and I had an area that I decided to specialize in. And the way to do that, you know, apart from getting 10 years of experience in the area, which I couldn't do in a year, um, mm-hmm. was to do a master's. And it was also to network and, and get out there and, you know, stay competitive. So I was pretty happy with my both my master's. They both served different purposes, but facilitated my my goals. So I was really happy. I, I encourage it. But I don't I don't think everybody should do it. I think that they should really have a clear purpose in mind of why you're doing a master's because otherwise, you know, if you can't think about what's gonna be the return on the investment, it could be a bit of a waste. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, did you say that you were already working on a technology and you wanted to explore that further? Yeah, yeah. I had come up with a, a technological solution to a legal problem um and I wanted to see how viable that was gonna be and if it really could address the legal problem that I was thinking about and so I used I used my first master's to kind of explore that a little bit more. How did how did that turn out? Uh, <laughs> I'm working for video game companies now. So <laughs> um, you know, it was uh, yeah, it's still it's still certainly um, something that could pan out in the future, but it's not um, it's not the path I chose. So. <laughs> All right, nice. So let's outline that path. So from the moment you finish your your academic career, you jump into the job market, um, how did you end up at ESA? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I always believed that school was great because you could learn stuff, but it was only going to be as viable as you made it while you were learning it. So I've been working um, pretty actively on copyright since my first year of law school. Um, I basically begged for jobs and, you know, even agreed to take no pay at certain points. They never agreed to that. That was me. But um, <laughs> I've been building my, my work portfolio since pretty much day one because I knew what I wanted. So I spent time working, like, for a copyright collective, and I worked for the government, different groups, um, doing social property work in Ottawa. So I, I would hunt them down, cold call them, beg them for work, and generally it panned out in my favor. Um, and then I kept doing papers in school to support, you know, what people were actually doing in their day jobs and I talked my way into an articling job, spent um, a good year and a half with the cover board, which was amazing. I learned a ton of very valuable information on a little known practice area. Um, it's very niche And then from there, um, I went to the States, as you know, and while I was in the States, I worked with um, an artist legal clinic a little bit. And then um, and then I came back and I called the government. I said, you know, what do you have going on? I'd love to do copyright work. And that got me into working on legislation and what is now the currently current Copyright Act. And then from there, I wanted to apply my international stuff. And Foreign Affairs had an opening for trade negotiations in their IP group. So I did a little bit of that. Um, and then from there, I got picked up by um, a major Canadian telecom company, Broadcaster. Um, and I was their health specialist for a few years. And then that led me to this, where I now do a lot more than just copyright. I do... Um, Immigration and tax and intellectual property, broadly speaking, um, copyright protection enforcement is a part of my my area of work, but it's certainly not the main part. And so it's uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got here. So for the listeners who don't really know a bit about ESA, can you just provide a very high level idea of what is ESA and uh, what the mandate is? Yeah, for sure. So the Entertainment Software Association of Canada is the industry association that represents basically the Canadian video game industry. So we have companies that are in Canada like Disney and Nintendo and Microsoft. Um, and then we've got Ubisoft and Electronic Arts and there's a number of them, Longtail, Magmic. Um, some are AAA games like 
console games, some are um, mobile games, publishers, mm-hmm. distributors. Um, so you get an idea of who, who we represent. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these companies are global, so they have global business, so it's important to know um, you know what's going on around the world in your day job. And basically my role is to make sure that the business environment in Canada is, is good and healthy for them. So are they essentially your clients, and are you speaking with them on a daily basis, getting input as to what their needs are and like what what their their future sort of job models look like or business models look yeah, like so and how that fits into the landscape? As an association, we are um, member-based, so it's not really a client relationship, although I certainly look at them as my customers or my members. So mm-hmm. I think about, um, you know, what, what would make the industry better for them um, and, and what we need in Canada. So, you know, if the government's proposing legislation that could hurt them in any way or disincentivize them to be here in Canada, then we have a chat about it. And sometimes there's daily conversations, sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's monthly, but um, but certainly we get our mandate from our board and, and we go from there what, we, what we're doing and the way we're going to do it. So in, in, in regards to your day-to-day practice, uh, if you can shine a bit of light on what your ideal day or regular day might look like or a regular week might look like. <laughs> I know it's I, I was it probably changes you know, on a weekly basis. <laughs> I always look at daily basis. My day, yeah. my day is always different. I think that's one of the things I actually love most about my job. So, you know, if there's a legislative proposal, for example, in the budget bill or or just a straight-out proposal the government's made, um, I'll review it, I'll analyze it, I'll look at it, I'll think about our members' needs and, and what they've told me before about it or positions they've taken in the past, and then work through it and provide them with some feedback and thoughts on where I think we can go and how we might get there to get them, to get them what they need. Mm-hmm. I might meet with government officials, I might meet with members of parliament, I might meet with, you know, colleagues in Ottawa that have like-minded, um, like-minded interests and, and, or, or shared issues. Um, I do all kinds of stuff like that. I also may talk to someone in the UK or in Australia at a, a similar kind of organization just to see if they've experienced this sort of problem before um, and get a sense of, you know, globally where things at. I, I work with my team in Toronto every day. Um, my, my, our head office is in Toronto and I'm based in Ottawa. So we have regular discussions and they're briefed on what's going on here and they tell me kind of what's going on there. And um, I spend some time surveying what's going on in my industry in Canada globally, and globally rather, um, because it is constantly evolving and it does take a lot of work to stay on top of everything our members are doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could be in California, I could be here, I could be in New York, I could be in Toronto, I could be in Montreal at wow. any given at any given yes. point in time. But that's how we stay connected and we keep our dialogues going and, and we stay on top of stuff. So no, no day has been a repeat of another yet. Yeah. And I've been here for about eight months now. The diversity of your work sounds extremely exciting. Yeah, it's cool. I for me, like I, I thrive on diversity. I need it, so it's um it's quite fitting for sure. What other characteristics do you think um, have contributed toward you being in line with your with your job? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm very passionate about technology and entertainment, and that's been you know since I was a kid. I've just like marveled at the way movies are made and the way Technology's changed, you know, from this big sort of box where you have to put a tape in to yeah. this CD thing you can carry around to, you know, um, the shuffle and the iPod and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So 
for me, like having a real passion and interest genuinely in the subject matter that I work with has been essential. Um, but I'm also quite persistent. So if I set a goal for myself, um, I make sure I achieve it. And that, that can be personal, it can be professional, it can be project-based. So if I say, you know, I want to get this done for my members, I, I, I do everything I can to get it done. And I think that's really important that adds, it adds a lot of credibility to who you are as a, as a person too. And I know they can trust you. And I'm also quite customer service oriented, which I think is a skill that a lot of lawyers have. Um, but when you are, it means that you understand the companies you're working for. You understand your client's business. You make their business your business. And that's, um, that's a really important thing to do as a practitioner early on and throughout your career. I just want to touch on something you just mentioned about persistency. It seems like a lot of the roles that you ended up with were because you were persistent and you went for them, uh, uh, whether it was through volunteer or just trying to get work. How, what, what kind of suggestions would you have for people who are in a similar path where they want to go after their passions but are getting shut down? What kept you going and what were some techniques that you, uh, that you applied? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I never took the path most traveled. I always found another way. So, you know, if you go, if you take the average path to do things and it doesn't work out for you, you have a choice at that point. You can quit and move on to something else. Or if you really, truly are passionate about what you're doing, you can find another way. And if you're willing to think outside the box and be a bit creative and, and humble at the same time, people are wonderful. Like the, the passion and the sincerity and the genuineness of someone that really has a goal and a vision, it does come through and and people do notice it. So... Like, it, it just worked. It worked for me almost every time. And when mm-hmm. it didn't work, I found something else. So I really encourage people, if they have a goal, think outside the box, figure out what are the different avenues, strategize a little bit, right, and then just go for it. And it, it seems like, um, I mean, take for granted it might be a little bit strong, but it seems like your interest in technology was always dead clear to you. And it was, it was easy for you to marry that with your career development and with law. But even for me, example, like I have a lot of different interests and I'm relatively good at a lot of different things as opposed to being really great or really interested in just one thing. So I think there's so much to be said for really being taking the time to identify what your interests are and how those align with law. Absolutely. And, um, especially in law school, because that's sort of your last opportunity to really um, experiment uh, across you know, every different practice area there is. Yeah, I, and I think, so two things. Um, definitely try different things. Try on different hats. Try on, yeah. you know, try on different different types of careers. I mean, like, my, I spent, I spent summers in law firms. Um, I spent time, though, also, like, I remember I spent my first summer when I came back to Canada. Yeah. I actually managed three different part-time jobs. One was in the collective, one was in a lobbyist organization, and one was with the government. And granted, none conflicted, but I, I made up a full-time job of three different, very, very, very different environments. I mean, in one moment of a day, I was in the top of a church in a room with another person. And in another moment, I was in a big government space. In another moment, I was in an office building downtown. It was crazy how contrast, how much there, there was a contrast between them. But I really started to get a sense of what I liked as a work environment. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, subject matter, yeah, it was always clear for me. And I, that's rare. That's not the norm from yeah. what I understand. But um, but you never know if you don't try different things. That said, 
law is not the be-all, end-all. I mean, I remember when I did my application for law school, I did it because it was the cornerstone of business. It mm-hmm. wasn't because I wanted to save the world. And so, you know, I have had very different types of career um, opportunities in law because of law. But, I mean, like, the end is not sitting in a firm for the next 40 years. You may get to a firm and 10 years in decide it's not for you anymore and yeah. take law and become an entrepreneur and start a company. Like, yeah. You can really do anything with law. It's it's a tool, right? Um, and a set of tools that will only make things better in theory. <laughs> I hope <laughs> that's the idea, anyway. So yeah. you know, don't walk yourself in, right? But definitely try out different things. Definitely. Well, it seems like your current role is kind of a mix of that. You have you have the legal aspect, but you also have the policy aspect to your current role. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so you, you talked briefly about your team. How many people are in ESA that you're working with, or uh, like how big is your team? So in Canada, we have a really small team. We are um, four people that do basically all the work in Canada. Um, there's other organizations around the world. Some are similarly small. Some are quite a bit bigger. You know, 40 or 50 people or, or more. But um, but we're we're all relatively specialized in what we do and. We work really well together, so it works. But we're small, so you, you know, I don't have an admin like I used to have, and I have to do all kinds of stuff. You know, there's no job that's too, too small <laughs> or too yeah. big, but you, you get it all done. So, um, but that requires, you know, a willingness to do those sort of things and not get past yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the best thing about your job? Oh, geez. It's different every day. I think that's the best thing for me. What's the best thing about your job today? Oh, it is different every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love when I can wake up in, like, Los Angeles and be going off to E3 seeing all the cool games coming out. And yeah. I love also waking up and knowing I've got a full day of meetings with government people and I can go, you know, dig and do some advocacy work. I love that. It's so fun. So fun. Very cool. What's the worst thing? I, you know... Like, it's lame, but I'm just so high on having such a fun job that I don't have a real worst thing. Um, there isn't. Like, I mean, I hate doing my expenses. <laughs> it takes so much time, and I'm really slow. <laughs> but um, yeah. but even that is cool. Like, I'm grateful that I have expenses to do, right? Like, I'm a, a very optimistic kind of positive yeah. person, so I don't have a, I don't have a real worst thing. Do, do you at least get to keep the points from all the traveling that you do? <laughs> it depends. It depends. It depends on what kind I use. <laughs> so, do you still yeah. do you still have moments, for example, like I think even if you have the the dream job, there's still those days where you're like, okay, it's still a job. Like I still have to go here and do this. Do you still feel that way sometimes, or is it just so in line with you know, who you are that you don't even get there? Um, I think everybody has days where they're tired like after a lot of repetitive travel for a number of weeks sometimes yeah I would just love to sleep but by the same token like I just don't you kind of just go like I I have yet to have a day where I'm like geez my job really sucks I haven't had it um it's still in the first year maybe if you you know we do this in a few more years maybe I'll be like yeah I had a couple of them (laughs) but I really feel like if you're in a position where you find that you really don't want to go to work, you got to look at that and, like, why yeah. don't you want to go to work? How can you make that be better, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. so because of all your traveling and everything that you do, what what is work-life balance to you? Yeah, um, that's such a good question. Like, this concept of work-life balance is tricky, right? There's not a set number of hours that I could say I want to be 
doing this or that. I think, I think when you really love what you do for a job, like it's fun. Like I actually want to do my job. I like doing my job. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I also really love my family and I like <laughs> hanging out with them. And I also really love like quiet time to myself and going for a swim or going for a walk or something. So I think as long as I can get a bit of everything in in a day or if not in a day, you know, kind of at some point throughout the week, then I'm pretty happy. Mm. Nice. Sounds like that's a, that definitely is a balance. And uh, yeah. again, it's like it's just so crucial that I'd be able to identify what actually is important to you and also what contributes toward having success both inside and outside of work because sometimes um, – I think it's a bit of a trial and error process, especially when you're starting out your career. Oh, yeah, it's really hard. And, I mean, at the beginning of a career, like, you are at the mercy of your bosses, right? And yeah, I mean, I'm exactly. still at the mercy of my board and my boss. And, like, we have bosses. But it's it's really tricky. So, you know, try. I really encourage people to try different things out. Like, there's no such thing as the right path for everybody. It's what's right for you what makes you happy and honestly if you're doing something that really makes you happy and that you love to do and you look forward to doing you will do well you'll become great at it and you'll you know you'll see this likely see the subsequent reward financially as well because you are great so I really encourage people to just not do things because they think they should or have to but um but because they want to yeah and I mean your story is living proof that the rest of the world really responds to that kind of energy when you're you know, in line with something that you're passionate about, it, uh, it unfolds. Um, okay, what's something that you want to improve about your professional skills? Oh, man, I wish what I could you, play. What are you working on? What are you working on? Yeah, I'm working <laughs> on my, like, dead rising zombie killing skills right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could play video games better so I could actually, like, spend time playing games with my members and having some kind of legit credibility. <laughs> <laughs> from a game like no, I'm just teasing. But um but I do actually wish I could improve this because they're not work related really kind of not. Um but no, I I think um I'm in a constant improvement mode. Like I nobody's perfect. Like as great as you might be, there's someone better and and there's also someone worse and we kind of you know, we're in flux all the time as to where we stand in that continuum. So I I take a lot of feedback, I seek feedback um from my colleagues from my members, from my bosses, I'm always asking. So like, hey man, like could nice. I do it better? Yeah. Do you think I could be better? Like I want to be better. I'm I'm driven, right? Like that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um I also read a lot and I wish I had more time to read. Because when you read books by, you know, successful people or people that you know you want to kinda of emulate their career, you get ideas and you get insights and, and I think reading kinda of goes amiss. We get caught like reading cases and spending so much time reading textbooks and you know notes on on the latest change in the law and that's not fun reading but if you're actually reading for yourself and to improve yourself um i think you you get a lot out of it so i wish i could do more of that do you have any recommendations and i wish i could i wish i could master mandarin damn it like i am trying i want to go to china and just be Mandarin. i can't so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't bet against you learning it so yeah. <laughs> give it time i just need time right now it's like mandarin yeah. dead rising mandarin dead rising <laughs> well, what's, what's going to be after mandarin i don't know i i yeah. think i might i actually i've signed up on code academy and Khan academy because i really yeah. would sincerely like to learn how to code so that's um yeah. that'll be next i'm sure that'll be next 
Have you tried Oculus Rift? Yeah, that blew my mind. You have? That was incredible. So I tried Oculus Rift back in March with um, one of my members' games. It was a spaceship game, the Space Aviation. So I I had the Rift on, and I was sitting on a couch in a hotel room. The TV was in front, and there was um, this kind of joystick in the accelerator so I could, like, move my spaceship faster or slower, and I could move around, and... It was wild. Like, the Rift, the technology in the Rift is incredible. You you really do, like, your brain really does think that you're flying a spaceship. And I remember flipping my ship and nearly throwing up because, like, <laughs> it was crazy. And I had to kind of stop. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was bananas. And it's it's incredible. Like, this is the one sort of point where I am in continuous awe is across sexual use of video games. Like, we're not yeah. talking about boys in basements. We're talking about people developing innovative technology that can be used mm-hmm. for flight simulation practice, for mm-hmm. for medical um, and surgical purposes, for, you know, all kinds of things. It's just wild. And the Rift is just an example of that. It's it's really amazing. Yeah. What, what do you think is next uh, in regards to the video gaming console side of things? Oh my goodness! Who knows? I mean, we're seeing all kinds of um, all kinds of things right now. And you know, when I started about a year ago, there was a debate of like consoles dead or alive. And then Xbox came out with one, and you start seeing the way that people are using their consoles to play video games, but also to stream Netflix and to go online. And like, you've become very multi-purpose in a way. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know what I'd love to see being like a techie nerd kind of but I'd love to see like no boxes I'd love to kind of have like <laughs> virtual reality but, like yeah. instantaneous like I tap this place on my in the air and this happens and like I, don't <laughs> know, I think we'll, we'll get there like devices are kind of getting bigger again yeah I'm sure we will with the uh, connect and all of those things now uh, oh yeah connect's pretty cool yeah yeah so do you have any last uh, pieces of parting advice for law students or young lawyers who are just starting their careers off I don't, oh, it's so tough. I mean, do what you love. Like, and if you don't know what you love, go figure it out. <laughs> I really, I really think it's important. Like, I mean, law is, it's a, a set of tools. It's, a, you can have a career just using those tools, but you can do so many different things with it. And it's, um, it's very empowering to have legal knowledge and it's empowering to share it with others and to be humble and be generous with your time, um, in the community, at work, with colleagues. I mean, it's um we're very privileged to be in this profession, very privileged to have even studied um this area academically and, and people just need to remember that. Oh beautiful. I think that's a nice place to end it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks guys. It was really wonderful. No, no, no. Thank you. That was uh super insightful and yeah, enjoyed the chat. Take care, Tanya. Thanks guys, you too. This is The Law School Show.